Acts chapter 12 here tonight, if you would please, Acts chapter 12. This is Sermon 25 in our series through the book of Acts, A Church for His Name. When feeble people pray to the Almighty God, when feeble people, that'd be us, when feeble people pray to the Almighty God, hope it'll be an encouragement to you tonight. With obvious application, as a church, we need to be a praying church, not just in word, uh, but in deed, in deed. And this, this passage gives us an example as to why. And so if you would, let's just follow along here tonight. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John. James and John, you know, the sons of thunder. He killed James with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in, in prison and delivered him to the four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. I like this next phrase. But prayer was made without ceasing. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That would be the turning point in the chapter right there. Bad situation, but prayer was made. Prayer was made. Verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth. So, I mean, this was the time he was going to have Peter, no doubt, executed as well. When he would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping. That'll preach too, won't it? Okay, I just need to read. I'm sorry. I'm going to preach after I get done reading. It's just it's in my heart and mind. All right, here we go. Try it again. The same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought it was, he saw a vision. Well, Peter had quite a few. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. I'm telling you, this is a great jailbreak right here. <laughs> Greatest ever. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, the one who wrote the gospel, Mark, where many were gathered together, what? Praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened up the gate for gladness. She forgot to let him in. 
<laughs> but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto, the, unto her, Thou art mad, you've lost your mind. Couldn't be Peter, we were just praying for him. <laughs> but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. Okay, I'm trying. <laughs> but why would an angel have to knock? <laughs> you know what I mean? He can just come in. Anyways. All right, verse 16. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James. And to the brethren, and he departed and went into another place. Now let's just continue reading. Now as, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. <laughs> and when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country, by Herod's country. You get it? He fed them. So they needed to be in good terms with him. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave shout. I believe they were flattering him. It is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms. Yeah. And gave up the ghost. <laughs> but, the, but the word of God grew and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was Mark it's a great account when people people pray to the almighty God may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated we'll get right into the message tonight at our very best we are but feeble at the pinnacle of our source of strength, or pinnacle of our strength, we're a feeble people. Feeble, weak, frail, unable to do much in circumstances, of course, that are beyond our control. However, however, as feeble people, we have opportunity to great strength. We have opportunity to unlimited power. Almost seems to contradict itself, doesn't it? As feeble people, we have access to unlimited power through one avenue. Prayer. I was at uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Indianapolis back, um, back in the spring, preaching a youth uh, rally on a Friday night. And it's about the time when they were having a four-week time of fasting. That every week they would fast from a certain from something different. Uh, I think the first week maybe they were fasting from desserts. I just seen if it'd go over here or not, so <laughs> evidently not. But they were fasting from different things just to give attention to prayer. 
But they had a big banner up above, you know, the pulpit in that area. And it, and it said this. It caught my attention. So I grabbed, actually, uh, one of the young men from the church there gave me a flyer and had these words to it. Listen, listen to this. Prayer fills man's poverty with God's riches. Prayer banishes man's littleness with God's greatness. Prayer, another statement, replaces man's weakness with God's strength. And one more, prayer fills man's emptiness with God's fullness. That's good. Fills man's emptiness with God's fullness. You know, when we pray, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we even ask or think. Certainly is the case here in Peter's situation. Charles Spurgeon, actually, Brother Mike Blythe uh, shared this with us in our GIBF GIBF prayer meeting uh, last Sunday. Quote from Spurgeon. You ready? Neglect of prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. Neglect of prayer is the locust that devours the strength of the church. Would you agree with that? That certainly would indicate that prayer is, a, is the strength of the church. To preach it. What, what did the disciples, we've already covered chapter 6, what did they give themselves? To prayer and the ministry of the word. Those are our two avenues of strength. We have no strength apart from that because what prayer and Bible reading, Bible preaching, that ties us into God's power rather than our own power. See, that's what we need. You know, the church um, at this time, as we come, as it says there in verse 1, now about that time, did you see that in verse number 1, now about that time? Well, that time was a great opportunity that had come their way. Of course, it was uh, in reference to how that the door, God had opened the door for Gentiles to be saved. This was an incredible, incredible opportunity for the church. But have you noticed this, that with every great opportunity, there are also great challenges, With every great opportunity, there are great challenges. So you have a great opportunity ahead of you. Uh, Maybe perhaps uh, this, you have the opportunity to buy a house. Well, that opportunity to buy a house also comes with great challenges. The upkeep of that house, right? You have an opportunity to buy a car. That comes with great challenges. You have an opportunity to marry. That's a great opportunity. That also has a lot of great challenges, Having children, great opportunity, great challenge. Joining a church, great opportunity, great challenges that come with it. I'm not saying that's negative, I'm just simply saying it's fact. You know, you have great opportunities. Going to school. (laughs) Crickets. Kids coming up here tonight, shaking hands, saying, starting school tomorrow. (laughs) You can get excited about that. For one day. (laughs) Right? No, seriously. Great opportunity. Great, great opportunity to go to school, but also great challenges. Well, a great and effectual door had been opened to the church. With that great door being opened to them, there was also great challenges. Great challenges. So now it says that about that time, that was the time in which the church in Antioch had determined to send relief to the church that was in Jerusalem because of the famine that had come upon Jerusalem. About that time, as though that wasn't enough, if, if it wasn't enough that 
the famine was affecting the lives of the people that were there in Jerusalem. In addition to that, Herod got involved by way of persecuting the people in the church. So it's like, you know, when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? And so here they were in the midst of a famine. And about that time, now Herod vexed the church, as it says there. He oppressed or gave great difficulty to the church. The door was open in a broad way for the Gentiles to be saved. And, and here is Herod, who has ties, of course, to Abraham through Esau. And not really, he's just conveniently Jewish, if at all. He's not really on board with the Jews, but he'll use them to the, his advantage. That was the way of the Herods. The Herods were wicked people, twisted in their thinking, twisted in their morality. This is Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who had all the babies uh, killed during the time of Christ in Matthew chapter 2. So this would be his grandson, uh, Herod Agrippa I. He was raised in Rome. He just recently had moved back to Judea in that area and was taking responsibility. He's a nephew of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. So you can see the flavor of this, this line of Herods. Not really nice guys. This Herod in particular was actually popular with the Jews more than previous. He was actually more popular with the Jews. He was more kind to them. So, so catch what's going on here. It says now at that time Herod did this. Well, Herod saw an opportunity here. Here's what Herod saw. Now he knows that the church that the Jews did not like. Everybody with me? I'm talking about the unbelieving Jews, the Jews that did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They looked down on and persecuted, as Saul did at one point, persecuted the church, even Jewish people, fellow Jews by nationality, but Jews that had turned to Christ, had turned to Jesus as the Messiah. These Jews are still upset with them, but now, it even, listen, it would even be more so because now this group of Jews, we know them as the church, not only did they accept Jesus as the Messiah, but now they were accepting Gentiles. You get it? Now they were accepting Gentiles in their midst and were eating with them. So their animosity towards these, these Jews, this church, was just growing, uh, no doubt, every day. Herod picks up on that, and Herod says, I'll do something that will make them real happy about it. That's why he got involved. He knew they would like the move against the church, and that's why he had James arrested, James and John, not James the brother of Jesus, but James and John, the sons of thunder. You know, in the New Testament, you find James, John, and Peter, James, and John being like the, you might call it the inner circle, just those that got to see Jesus transfigured, and, and those that were often with Jesus when he went in to heal others, when others of the disciples were not able to. We're talking about that James, James and John, and so he had James beheaded. James is beheaded. Well, when he saw that the uh, Jews were quite pleased with that, he said, well, if they liked, listen now, if they like the execution of James, they'll love the execution of Peter because Peter was a leader among them. 
So he determined to take Peter's life. Well, only one problem. It was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that really was getting in the way. Just like it did with Jesus. You remember that? Passover was drawing nigh and all those things, and so he had to hasten. I'm telling you, it was almost like a rerun, what's going on here. And so now he arrests Peter, and he, he plans that after the Passover that he'll bring him before the people. It may be even been a week that Peter was there in prison and such, but, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all that was going on. So he, he put him under tight security. In fact, 16 soldiers were involved, total. 16 soldiers, just four at a time. But remember, Peter had escaped once before. So I'm sure he was thinking, this time we're keeping him. So they, he assigned 16 soldiers to the job. And so these 16 soldiers would rotate every three hours. Four soldiers would take over for those other four soldiers. You got it? Four sets of, of four. And so this, this group of 16 soldiers, two, listen now, two were locked up to Peter. Peter's in the middle of them. Here's one soldier. He's clamped to Peter. And the other soldier is clamped to Peter. So that, that way, Peter's, he's not going anywhere. So they thought. Outside the, the cell, there were two other soldiers that were stationed there. Sentries that were going to watch the gate. To make sure none of the other disciples, none of the other people were going to try to make a jailbreak. You know, I mean, they had this place locked down tighter than Mayberry. I'm telling you, this place was, <laughs> that wouldn't take much. I'm sorry. This place was locked down tight. All right. In their mind, okay, in their mind, they had this place really locked down. Two soldiers with him. Two soldiers stationed out there. They would rotate them every three hours. Here's why. They wanted these soldiers to be alert. Have you ever been on uh, night watchman duty? I'm not talking about in church. I'm talking about, I'm talking about you know, working security. And, you know, and so what they're trying to do is say, okay, now look, we don't want these guys going to sleep, so we're going to rotate them every three hours, every three hours, so they would be fresh. So Peter is there. Well, meanwhile, back at the church gathering, at least part of the church had gathered together in a house of Mary, evidently a well-to-do lady, the mother of John Mark, and the individuals were gathered there, and here's what they were doing. They were praying for Peter. How were they praying? Well, no doubt they were praying for his release. They were praying that he might receive a light sentence. They were praying that, that somehow God might intervene, or, or maybe they were resigning themselves to the fact that he's probably not going to make it. Let's just pray for him that he'd have grace to stand. We don't know all that they were praying, but I, I happen to believe they were praying for his release. It just came in a grander fashion than what they were anticipating. So here they were. They were praying and asking God to intervene. According to verse number 5, there was a terrible situation. This great opportunity led to great struggles. And those, when, you, when a church, oh, this is good, when a church has great opportunities and at the same time they're facing great struggles, that ought to drive every church to prayer. And that's what they did. They prayed that God might intervene. And so there was Peter. He's locked up. And, and, and in fact, it was just the day before, it was the night before that everything was going to come down. And probably, 
Humanly speaking, it looked as though what was going to happen is Herod was going to bring Peter before the people, just like uh, Pilate did previously in Jesus' life. And it was probably going to bring Peter before the people. And Herod would have said, what do you want me to do with this man? And they would have all said, get rid of him. And he would have done that just to earn popularity points with them. But in the middle of the night, a bright light shone in the cell. An angel appeared, and the soldiers were fast asleep. As far as we know, I mean, how could you miss the bright light? How could you miss the angel? How could you miss the change? Clunk, clunk, falling to the ground. How could you miss uh, Peter? Hey, listen, here's, here's a neat deal. What was Peter doing while he's in the midst of this crisis? Sleeping. Isn't that great? I love it. I love the fact that he's just, he's just there in his sleep. He's not troubled by it. Evidently, he's gone. And maybe he's just exhausted. I don't know. But, and I'm not saying that, you know, the best thing to do when you're in the midst of the crisis is just go to sleep. Now, that's easy to do, and sometimes it's good, and I believe God gives us sleep like that. But no doubt he'd spent some time in prayer, maybe even had spent some time praising God and, and counted it in a, in a, as an honor to be able to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but here's what we find in the middle of the night in that watch under, under two guards outside, two guards inside, Peter chained to both of them. We find this great light that, that comes into the room as this angelic being is there, and we find that, that, the, that the angel has to... Wake him up. He had an angelic alarm clock. I don't think most of us think about our alarm clocks as being an angel, right? But here was Peter, and, and the Bible says that he, that he uh, what does it say? It said that he, oh, I'm not seeing that. He smote him. No, it doesn't mean he had to hit him hard. But it may be that Peter was in like a deep sleep, and he said, hey, Peter. Peter. Huh? Woke him up. Said, stand up. As he stood, the chains fell to the ground. Said, put your clothes on, put your shoes on. And then he said, get your coat too. It's time to go. Peter thinks, I'm having another vision. I've had all kinds of visions. (laughs) Animals coming down. Angels in the cell. I mean, I'm just thinking. He's got all this going on. The angel says, follow me out. They walk out through that first ward. These two guys are asleep, evidently. Walk out through there. The big iron gate. They walk up to it, and it's like a power door. I don't know. Maybe you're not enjoying this, but I am. (laughs) Big door just opens automatic. First automatic door. Right there. Yep. Big door opens. They walk out into the city in the streets of the city. He walks down a lane of the city. And, and, and so once he's very much safe and away from the prison, the angel leaves and it dawns on Peter. Hey, this wasn't a dream. This is real. I'm free. So where does he go? Well, obviously he went to the house where the people were praying and and as he arrives there on, this, on the scene, he knocks on the door, and maybe inside everything went quiet. Mm-hmm. 
quiet. Why? Come on. They had just arrested Peter. They had just beheaded James. What would you do? Shh, pray quietly. <laughs> you know, you and I really don't know what that's like. But what others in, this par- in other parts of the world, in China and in other parts of, of the world, I'm telling you, a firm knock on the door could be great danger. But finally, a young lady named Rhoda, which means like Rose, went to the door. And maybe Peter said, I don't know how loud, but he spoke. It's me. Peter, it's me. Hey, it's not Herod. It's me. It's me. Rhoda, she knows his voice. She recognized his voice. She said, it's Peter. And she ran back, had one of those moments, whatever color her hair was, ran back. I'm sorry, that really isn't in my notes. Ran back and said, Peter's at the gate. He's at the gate. Well, why didn't you let him in if he needs... Oh, I forgot about that. Sorry. But he's at the gate. Rhoda, Rhoda, quiet. You've lost your mind. Thou art mad. You're crazy. How could Peter be there at the gate, released from prison, when we're here praying for his release? I mean, really, how could he be there when we're praying for him? You're mad. You're crazy. But he just kept knocking. Isn't it amazing? I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, God could get Peter out of a prison, but Peter couldn't get himself in a prayer meeting. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? (laughs) Well... He kept knocking, and finally, in fact, they said to, they said to her, remember those words, I'm going to skip this part. She, they said, it's his angel. <laughs> well, that was kind of weird. And as we mentioned earlier in the Bible reading, why would the angel knock? The angel would just come in, right? But they said, maybe it's his guardian angel, and he's gone. Well, they weren't thinking straight, you know? But finally they went to the door and they opened up the door and, and lo and behold, it was Peter. And can you feel that there was just an, an incredible amount of energy and excitement about that moment? In fact, Peter had to say, quiet down. You're going to get us all arrested again. <laughs> but he said, and he told them what God had done. And my, how they must have rejoiced. Meanwhile... Back at the prison. (laughs) I wonder how this happened. You know, I just have to stop and think. I wonder how this came about. I wonder if this guy, you know, maybe it was that the guards that were supposed to be watching him, maybe they woke up. Oh, hey. Hey! (laughs) He's gone! Or maybe, I, I might be more like this, like they were just out and the next set of four were coming. Man, it's about time to go. Yeah, I don't really want to clock in, but... Hey, what are you guys doing sleeping? I'm not sleeping. <laughs> you ever do that? <laughs> Come up with the security guards? I'm, no, I'm fine. 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 
<laughs> they walk in. Hey, you guys, he's gone. Who's gone? He's gone. Who? Peter. Ah! <laughs> the panic. The Bible says there was no great, sorry, there was no small stir. That means there was a big stir <laughs> trying to find him. Well, obviously it costs some of them their lives because that's how serious that Herod took it. Well, then the story actually goes on. And Herod, um, well, Herod had some problems with the folks. He was there in Caesarea, and he had some problems with the folks that were there in Tyre and Sidon. And and, um, there was some disagreement between them, and they got their food from Herod. And Herod evidently said, well, look, I'm not giving you any more food. So they didn't like that. So they got in touch with one of his men that were on his staff, uh, Blastus, as his name was, and they said, hey, could you set something up with Herod? Because we really would like to get our meals again on wheels and and having that, you know, back. And we'd love to have that again if we could, you know, just we're missing that. You think you could do that? He said, yeah, look, let's set up this big meeting. We'll We'll have Herod speak. He loves to speak. Josephus talks about how that he wore a shining silver robe. And he stood that day and he gave an oration. He impressed them with with his speech. And they said, it's not a man, it's a God that's come among us. And Herod loved it. Ah. The Bible says the angel smote him. And Josephus says... For five days he died a cruel, slow death, stomach-related. Worms ate him from the inside. Nasty. Isn't it ironic? Now at this time, Herod, Agrippa I, took the life of James. He seemed so much in control, but by the end of chapter 12, he's dying a cruel, slow death. And Peter is free. What a turn of events. What a turn of events. Why did all this happen? Well, from this angle, there's one reason all that happened. A church prayed. A church prayed. Well, a church prayed, but obviously it wasn't them that made the difference. They were even doubting and wondering if anything could happen. And even when Peter showed up at the door, they were still doubting. Hey, listen, even when we pray, we may doubt. But thank God, God continues to hear our prayer. And then he even does this. He answers our prayers even above what we even anticipate. Listen, for the sake of the gospel, God does something great even when we are feeble. When the church prayed for Peter's release, more happened than what they anticipated. And the work of the gospel advanced. I want to ask you tonight. What happens when we as feeble people pray? I believe this happens. More is bound to happen than what we anticipate for the sake of the gospel. 
So what should we do? Pray. Great opportunities. I believe, church, can I speak to you here for just a few moments? Great opportunities are before us. With great opportunities comes what? Great challenges. Great opportunities are before us. Great challenges are before us. Welcome Heartland Sunday, if I can make some application here. Great, great opportunity, but also a great challenge in welcoming so many and trying to get them all plugged into ministry and and to try to shepherd and involve their life and take care of them. Great opportunities, great challenge. Here's what we ought to do as a church. Pray. Pray. And when we pray, God does more than we ever anticipate. Immediately, but also eventually through the lives of young men and women who will commit themselves to Christ. Great opportunity, just about 30 miles, 40 miles, just, just a little bit east of us here in a place called Bethel Acres. Great opportunity, but some great challenges. What ought we to do? Pray. And as we pray, I believe God does some things that's ab- above and beyond our expectations for the sake of the gospel. We have a church planning intern right now and Brother Rick, Rick McQueen. And, and I've been praying for Brother McQueen. He's just finished up his two-year internship. My, didn't that go fast? I believe God's hand is on this young man. I truly do. I believe God's at work in his life. We were um, been praying about what, what God would have as the next step and, um, and just praying for God's leadership as to the timing and told Brother Rick we'd like just to keep you on the rest of this year and he's so helpful here teaching sixth grade and other, other areas of ministry. But I said, you know, it's going to be um, maybe soon that God's going to say it's time to go. This was back in uh, May and, um, and then a little bit after that, sometime right in there in June, you might remember I had occasion to preach like in an afternoon service up in Sperry, Oklahoma. And uh, Brother Rick, William, Rick, Rick McQueen said, hey, preacher, if I could, I'll drive for you, let you study and such. And so we allowed that opportunity. And so we were there and we were talking about, you know, uh, when he's going to begin to do maybe some deputation, earning, you know, uh, raising support and such as that. And I said, you know, Brother Rick, we just need to pray about this and see what God does and and uh, just trust his timing on things. Well, we arrived at the meeting there. Brother Bill Field, a dear, dear pastor friend there, and, and he said, uh, so who do you have here with you? I introduced him as our church planning intern, and he said, oh, that's great. Well, let's let him say a word here about what God's doing in his life. And so Brother McQueen handled himself very well and explained to the church there that he just had a burden to preach the gospel and his people are saved then to see churches started. And and so Brother Phil came back to the pulpit and said, Now, church, I believe God is in this. How many of you will pray about raising your faith promise missions $10 a month so that we might take this young man on for support? How many of you will pray that way? Okay, and he counted out. Okay, let's pray right now. All right, let's pray. And then they prayed. He said, Okay, now you've prayed about it. How many of you will do that? <laughs> and he counted out. I don't know uh, how many he counted out, but... Ever so many, he counted them out. And just like that, Brother Rick McQueen, without us even thinking about it happening, he's already begun to receive support. 
So on the way back, I told him, now we're going to start to decrease your salary. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, church, when, when a man prays and a church prays with him, things are bound to happen that are beyond what we even anticipate. And then and I, I just shared with the deacons in a meeting that, you know, we've been praying about Shawnee for, I mean, several years back, Brother Richard McQueen, Rick's dad, remember, was going out and handing out flyers and winning souls and talking to people. And, and so this has been many years in, in the making and works and such. And, and you can't make things like this happen. In fact, when, whenever the tornado went through, I thought, you know, maybe this is an opportunity. And we investigated and went that direction. But, but nothing really materialized at the very beginning. And there was some promise of it, but it really just didn't materialize. But but then I, I don't even remember now how it all came about, but, but there was a contact made and just began to lead here and there. And then above and exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, things began to happen. Why? Because all we have to do is commit ourselves to prayer. And prayer is the avenue by which God works his miraculous ways in our lives, not for our sakes, but for the sake of the gospel. Great opportunities. Celebration Sunday is a great opportunity. The GIBF meeting, I believe, is a great, great opportunity, not just for our church, but for the people that would come, and, yea, for the unreached people groups of this world that need someone to pray for them. On Tuesday morning of that meeting, we're going to have a, 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 a God willing, that at the end of that service, we're going to have just a prayer meeting for and going to hand out the 100 top, unreached people groups of the world and we're going to pray for them as preachers and ask God that God might do something by faith. It's a great opportunity. This uh, upcoming Christmas time, we're going to, of course, we've been doing cantatas and such, but this year, God willing, we're going to do a Southern Gospel Christmas celebration and have groups singing and, and just, I'm just, man, I'm excited about that. It's a great opportunity, but here's what it needs, prayer. Adding more classes, adding more bus routes, great opportunity, but we need prayer. It's my desire that as a church that we would knock every single door in Oklahoma City at least once a year, if not more than that, from a certain coordinate to a certain coordinate, at least seven miles out, if not even beyond it. Updating and expanding our church building. It's a great opportunity and responsibility. It's a great opportunity, but it's got a lot of challenges to it. You know what we need to do? Get on our face before God and say, Dear God, would you please? Sending more missionaries, planting more churches like Southwest Baptist Church, all of these great opportunities, but great challenges that demand that we as a church pray. R.A. Torrey said this, the most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Every great awakening in the history of the church from the time of the apostles until today has been the result of prayer. There have been great awakenings without much preaching. And there have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization. But there has, been, there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. You know, I thought about it in this way as well. Great opportunities and great challenges are before your life as well, aren't they? You have a great opportunity to know the will of God and to do the will of God. But I tell you, that ought to drive you to a place of praying for God's help. 
You have a great opportunity to develop a new friendship. You have a great opportunity to develop a friendship that may lead to marriage. Some would be praying that way. You have a great opportunity to raise a family for Christ. Or you have a great opportunity maybe to teach a Sunday school class. Or to start a business, someone here may. Or to buy a house or take a missions trip. All of these opportunities are great, but they're really beyond our ability. So let's do this. One thing, pray. Because when we pray, God exceeds our expectations for the sake of the gospel. And the answer may come at your door, and it's going to seem way too good to be true. But it may be what you've been praying about. When it comes, here's what you do. Just open the door and let it in. Let him in. And trust God. Because I love the last two verses, and we'll close here tonight. I love the last two verses. Look at them again. Verse 24 and 25. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they took John Mark with them. And listen, church, we're right on the brink of something huge about to happen back in Antioch. Why? Because God was moving and doing some great things. Father, tonight, someone stands in need of our intercession. Somewhere tonight, a ministry, a person, a a fellow church member, an individual trying to make a decision. Somewhere tonight, dear God, there are literally Christians who are, whose lives are in jeopardy in Egypt and in, and in Sudan and in China and India and all around this globe, dear God. There are Christians that are bound, many of whom will face the fate of a James. Some maybe would be released like Peter. You told us to remember those that are in bonds as bound with them. And so we pray, first of all, tonight for those Christians that find themselves locked up like in Peter's case. But then also, dear God, just in application to our own situation here, we know that there are some great opportunities that are before us as a church, and great challenges that also come our way. We pray you'd help us to commit ourselves to prayer. I do pray, God, again for your workings there in the Bethel Acres area. And Lord, we just trust you. Know you know what's best and know what's right. We don't want to make something of something that's not your hand, but when we see your hand at work, we certainly want to pray that you might help us to join you. And God, we know that the heart of the king is in your hand, and, and God, a Herod is no match for you. And just as quickly as he sets himself up, you can take him down. And so, God, really, there's nothing that stands in our way because of who you are. And so somebody tonight may be wrestling with your will and wrestling with taking a step in that direction of doing your will for fear or for other reasons. But, God, would you just help them to see that you are greater. And it's in Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen.